0: Finding content that focuses on accessibility and individual learning paths isn't always easy for 100-level courses, such as biology and economics, but when you start looking for that type of content for pre-service teachers, driver training, or nursing programs, it becomes nearly impossible. That's why Gina Anderson built Luma, a content platform that helps students learn the way they learn best in more specialized subject areas. Gina talks about individualized learning based on outcomes, as well as how they help schools in their search for low-cost, high-quality course materials. Welcome to the MBS Direct Podcast, where we talk with some of our partners who are doing interesting things with content and education. I'm Carrie Watkins, the Senior Digital Consultant with MBS Direct, and today we are talking with Gina Anderson the CEO of Luma Learning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about Luma.
1: Sure. Um, So we started Luma in 2008. Um, The reason for starting Luma was because we were interested in building learning experiences with better learning outcomes. What we see in education a lot is people that will come and come to the workplace and actually they're not prepared. And so what we want to do is create courses that really the outcomes, we see better results. So we tend to focus on topics that are fundamentally important to society. And we also offer services to companies and institutions that need help building their educational experiences. And We primarily focus on online and blended learning. I've been in the education field for over 20 years as a K-12 teacher an instructional designer and higher education administrator. And what I saw in all my years in education is that a lot of education experiences that are created don't take into account all the different learning preferences rather for example a course may be a video and some discussions and every student has to engage in that curriculum particularly and then the outcomes are supposed to be the same for all learners. I taught students at the beginning of my career with severe learning challenges and what I saw was Students, if you can teach a student that has a real challenging tying their shoe or even speaking and you can make a difference, you can apply, it really got me interested in thinking about how you can apply the same strategies for adult learners and all learners in general to really try to truly understand their learning preferences so you can provide to them the best outcomes possible. So this is why for me, I earned my doctorate in Instructional Systems Technology and Learning Sciences because I truly wanted to understand how people learn and then create courses based in the learning sciences.
0: So what was some of the interesting things that you learned about learning preferences as you were doing that research?
1: So interestingly enough, what we have found is that different learning cultures have different learning preferences in general. And so what we do is, we, I, I look specifically about at authenticity um, with nursing students and what I found is that it even differs between nursing nurses in different environments. So the type of training that you would deliver specifically to a nurse that's in practice may be quite different to compared to a pre-service nurse, because what is authentic or what is relevant to them at that moment may be different. So, in, for example, when you're looking at multimedia sometimes what's the preference to watch a video or is it to read a transcript and print it out and what we found is it's different depending on the different learning cultures and so what we do now is we have metrics running behind our learning courses and we collect data to inform our design so when we deliver courses we're constantly um, modifying and improving the learning content to really meet those different learning cultures for example We um, have some safety trucking classes that we do, and the drivers, the education, and the background, their preferences vary quite differently than, for example, our pre-service nursing classes. So the course designs are different, and they're based on those metrics and the type of content that we deliver so it's really helped us because most trainings and courses will deliver the same types of medium and media and content throughout all their courses and when you look between our courses it's different and that's purposeful design.
0: As you mentioned you have courses for people in automotive and driving as well as nursing. So you're not hitting some of the, the basic courses that we run into a lot. You're actually doing a lot more specific courses. Tell me a little bit about how you've come to these specific disciplines and where you see your catalog growing? Yes,
1: so we like to focus on topics that are non-traditional, where there's a real need or a gap in content areas. And what we find is a lot of social skills, a lot of the non-traditional academic topics, for example, like child abuse, domestic violence, and areas that really aren't touched on from an academic sense we really are trying to meet that need. And so we how do we come up with those areas is a lot of the data that we're collecting in our courses, asking the different industries, for example, health and wellness and trucking and driving is an area that there we ask, you know, individuals out in companies and out in the field and out in practice and real world in terms of what are the needs and We even ask the the learners because we make assumptions. A lot of research has showed that as instructional designers, you make assumptions about the learner and you create courses based on that or based on outcomes, but that might not really be where the need is. And so we go directly to the end users and the the learners to find out what topics, where there's gaps, and that's what we base um, our catalog on. So in terms of where do we see it growing, I I definitely see – those um, those topics that are really fundamentally important to society that really not finding a lot of, and well, you know, you might find content out there, but it's not necessarily grounded in best practices and learning science.
0: And we've seen from a content distribution standpoint, a real gap because the content's out there. It's just in a very static, very one size fits all format. Uh, we're not seeing the courseware platforms, the personalized learning in some of these non-traditional content. You guys have been at this for a couple years now. How have you seen the, the company change um, over the, the years that you guys have been uh, doing these types of content platforms?
1: That's a great question. When we first started, we were focused on services in particular, really doing customized learning for companies in higher ed, building fully online programs, for them and you know we still do some of that but we really saw um, an opportunity for us to really offer our services in important social areas that we felt really could make a difference and create courses that really build on learning science and instructional design so instead of necessarily doing all custom work for our partner or for our um, clients we decided to let's build a catalog of courses that we could then partner and really get out there and reach out to a broader our audience because ultimately we really want to make a difference. I mean, that's where our motivation comes from. We want to provide the best learning solutions um, for end users, and so that's really was our shift um, from focusing on our services to more offering product solutions.
0: That lends itself quite well to the next question, which what problem are you trying to solve? We've talked about personalized learning and being able to deliver content um, that's outcome driven. Uh, what problem in a larger sense are is Luma trying to solve?
1: Well, the main- Problem that we see, and you touched on this as well, is that learning experiences are traditionally delivered the same format for all learners, and there really is no attention paid to how do we reach different learning preferences, and how do we constantly improve um, courses so that we can meet the end users. So again, I said this before, but research shows that instructional designers make assumptions about learners, um, instructors make assumption about learners, and Sure, they're teaching and they're getting feedback, but primarily the courses stay the same from semester to semester because of time and because of um, funding. But how well do we really know differences between learning cultures? And, you know, that's primarily what we focus our research on. For example, like how do they access training um, in higher ed? It's similar. It's, it's the same content in all the courses. So what we do for in our learning platform in particular, we first of all, we give the user the opportunity to explore the content in the way that they want. So there's multiple ways of accessing the curriculum. There's also a variety of types of content. So for example, in some cases we have video, but they may choose to read instead of watching the video. We've seen in some of our nursing courses, for example, the end users are nurses who have children, they're busy, they're working, they're taking classes. They may not have time to watch the video, so they can print this script and, and take it with them to a soccer game and, and have the curriculum. So definitely the problem of trying to deliver having the issue of the same format for all learners and also accessibility is a huge issue um, with technology and we really focus on how can we make all of our learning experiences accessible to all learners in terms of is it mobilely accessible, can the content be dynamic enough that they can access it in multiple ways and so So we focus, we truly want to understand our learners and we're finding differences, like I said, between even different courses and different groups. And so we definitely apply these metrics to inform our designs.
0: So Gina, you've been in the education space for a number of years both as a classroom educator and now in the content development. What do you see as the most interesting thing happening in education as an industry right now?
1: That is a great question. One of the interesting things that I'm finding cuz we're still working with universities to build online programs as well, is this interest in institutions looking at all sorts of ways to reduce costs. But ideally, they want to keep the same quality of education. Um, and one approach that many universities are looking to us to help them with and that they're utilizing is using open education resources to just replace expensive textbooks. But what we're finding from our perspective, the challenge is, is that the institutions want to keep the same quality in terms of the resource, but they don't have the open education resources. A lot of times they don't the author. is. So there's this issue of quality, consistency, reliability, and quite honestly, there's a lot of times you still have the same objectives for the students and outcomes to meet, but the resources, they have gaps in them, and there's, so you have to combine resources um, and so forth, and so it's really interesting to me that, you know, this, this idea of reducing costs to students and trying to save money, but kind of the outlet of doing that, you have to do a lot more in terms of looking at how are we going to do it? Can you completely reduce the cost of a resource for a student and keep the same quality. And so we're, and and not only quality, but accessibility. A lot of the um, open education resources were created with a lot of grants in the past um, several years, the MOOC movement and so forth. And a lot of times the accessibility of the resources, they quite frankly aren't accessible. They use flash. They're not mobily accessible. They're not accessible for individuals who have hearing impairments or who are blind but they're free. So faculty, um, sometimes instructional designers will pull them together and they'll create a course and then there's challenges. So we really wanna meet this need of, of trying to help institutions reduce costs, but keep the same quality of education. And so that's why we're trying to create cost effective solutions to this need.
0: That's something that we're seeing a lot as well with our partner schools. They like the idea of this low and no cost content but then they actually get in there and do it and realize the time constraints, the quality constraints within finding that material. Can you provide an example of maybe how you've helped a school decrease the cost of their content by working with Luma? When we
1: look at the resources, if, if the idea is to use OERs, you know, we do some analysis on our end and trying to find resources that still align with the learning objectives, but then we can put together the resource on our end, building the media and the multimedia to create the ideal solution for them. And in the end, over you know, the period of course development, it does in, in a sense, reduce the cost on their end for development, and then they have a resource that's internal to their courses. On the other hand, you know, this goes back to where we saw the need. We see the need with different courses, like English as a Second Language, for example. So we've partnered with experts in the field to create these experiences that we have done at a lower cost to us to create so that we can then offer the resource um, as a supplement to a course that universities can use if it meets their learning objectives. And for us, I mean, with my with our network being in the education field for so long, I mean, we have connections to subject matter experts across the different fields that we can partner with to be able to offer these solutions and keep the quality high of the resource, but also in the end, reducing costs to them. And so I think it is a win-win for for us, and it, and I feel like in our experience of working with the institutions that do use our resources or our service, it's a win win for them, and we know this number one because they will come back and utilize us again and again over the years for services. So I think it, it, it's definitely in our goal to help them reduce, you know, create these cost-effective solutions.
0: And especially in the disciplines that you guys work in, some of those non-traditional. It's difficult to find content that's specific to some of these more specific disciplines. So you guys are are really helping helping with that. So obviously we've have a partnership with MBS Direct. So if schools are interested in learning more about Luma, uh, feel free to contact your MBS Direct account manager but if a school just wanted to do a little bit of research on their own, what would be the best way to learn more about Luma?
1: They certainly can contact us. They can email us at info at and we're happy to provide any additional information. They can also go to our website at learnwithluma.com, and we're always happy to explore um, and help universities or partners um, and see what they need.
0: So you guys have your catalog there on the website. Uh, but you guys can also work with institutions as well for any material that maybe you don't currently have in your catalog, correct?
1: Exactly. We can do course development, and we also have our own learning platforms as well that we can work in.
0: Great. Well, I appreciate your time this morning, and uh, I look forward to continuing and growing our partnership. Great. Thanks. We do too. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. For more information on any of the topics discussed in this podcast, or any other questions you have about digital content options, contact your account manager or you can reach out to me, Carrie Watkins, Senior Digital Consultant, on Twitter at Carrie J. Watkins.